Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of Cathedral of Praise. And thank you for the privilege of coming into your home, especially new believers. And families, you should always make sure that the people that have gotten saved in your household, this has been a great harvest time in households. That's one of the positive things that we've been able to see God do is fulfill the promise that we shall be saved in our whole household as we've gathered around the TV, watching morning devotions, watching the evening service, entire households have come to Christ. Now, let's make sure we get them grounded in God in Jesus' name. Psalms chapter 91 today, beginning with verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. That's his promise. He will deliver you. Not a vaccine, not science. Please, I'm not against any of those things. You say, well, you get a vaccine when they come out? Yeah, not against any of those things. But he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that comes or that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes, and we will we'll see the death around us, but we'll only see it with our eyes, and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague shall come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone, You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. What beautiful, beautiful truth. Today, as we go to prayer, I again want to pray for the young people. And I know young people, I know I'm berating this and I'm talking about it so much. But young people, so many of you are caught up in the K wave. You need to be caught up in the J wave. The K wave is not going to change your life. The K wave is not going to provide for you. The K wave is not going to keep you safe in times of disaster. But Jesus will. Young people, please. Can you put aside the gadgets and can get get out of the web and get your focus back in Jesus? Otherwise, we're going to get to the end of this season of Corona and you're going to find that your walk with God is your love has grown cold, as Paul would say. Your love has grown cold. Your love has, as Paul taught the Ephesians, grace to you who love the Lord with a love that doesn't fade away. Sometimes you get so full of the K-wave that your love for Jesus fades. They say, Pastor, I thought you were going to pray. You sound like you're preaching. A little of both. Let's pray together. Father, I lift you all of our young people today, every college student, every high school student, Lord, every elementary student. They feel like their whole year has been thrown away. They feel like a year of their life has been stolen. 
Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you show them productive, wonderful things that they can do, that you show them how they can redeem the time in these evil days, that you show them the things that they can do to move their lives forward like never before. Father, I ask that your hand of grace would be upon them. Lord, I ask that you incline their heart to your word. I ask that you stir up within them the spirit of supplication, the spirit of prayer. And Lord, I ask that you draw close to them. I ask that you reach within their hearts like you reach within Peter's hearts there by the Sea of Galilee. That, Lord, that you challenge them about their love walk with you. And that you reach within them and touch them deeply, Lord. You are real, Lord. Jesus, you walk among us. Walk into the homes this morning. Touch the hearts of young people. Touch their hearts with your love. Let the love of Christ control them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship.
Well, I worked for two hours early this morning on these cameras and on computers and on pens and why is the palm rejection. I finally got it down to the palm rejections not working and I'm not sure I got I got camera better. As you can see, we've got a bigger angle and you're not just seeing a big bald spot on my head. Changed out the lenses on that, put the vlogging lens on. Got three different pens that I've synced with this machine. So let's let's give it a try because it seems to work and then it seems to not work. So we will muddle our way through today. Romans chapter 5 today, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. So sin was not in this world. Sin entered into the world through one man. This is the first Adam. See, the sin came into the world through man. Sin did not come into the world through Satan. He had not been given authority over this world. Sin did not come into this world through God. Sin came into this world through one man. You have to understand, you, you cannot blame God for all of the effects of sin in this world. God did not bring sin into this world. It is our ancestor, Adam, that brought sin into this world. And sometimes as Christians, we, we think that somehow Satan brought sin into the world or God brought sin into the world. No, no, no. Our ancestor, the first Adam, he brought sin into this world. And death through sin. Now, death is separation from God. Not, not just physical death, but separation from God. And so death spread to all man because all sinned. It came in through man. It became a part of us. Became part of man. because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. So he said, now listen, don't, don't look at the law and think that only when the law came about did we know what sin was. He said, for sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin was not counted when there was no law. Now, that's the verse that you want to put a question mark next to, because at first you look at that and go, what? Well, wait till we get to Romans 5 in the evening services. Yet death, you see, this is what I had to be careful of because I, I can just expound all of this right now, but that's the evening services. Yet death reigned. Now notice, death reigns from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. This one to come is Jesus. So Adam is a type of the one to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. Okay, the free gift of righteousness is not like the trespass. I like that. Not like. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more has the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. All right. So the free gift is not like the sin. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man abounded to many. All right, so through Jesus, let's just say this means through Jesus, 
we have grace and the free gift. The free gift by grace. And they've abounded for many. Now, not for everybody. See, this is the doctrine of universalism. The doctrine of universalism said that because Jesus died on the cross, everybody's automatically saved. But notice the words, for many. Didn't say for all. All right, that's the difference between the, the free gift that came through Jesus and the sin that came through Adam. In Adam, all sin. So notice the all up here and notice the many down here because there is a condition for the free gift and that's faith. And the free gift is not like the result of that of one man's sins. Okay, so again, it's not like. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Now notice the difference. Following one trespass, just one, just one, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So one gift brings condemnation. Excuse me, the sin brought condemnation into the world. So Adam sinned, condemnation comes into the world. Jesus Christ died on the cross to take the punishment of our sin. And it follows many, many, many trespasses. And it brings just as if you never sinned. It's hard not to teach my way through this. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? All right, so one man brought death into the world. Jesus brought the free gift of righteousness and abundance of grace for all mankind. Now, and we reign in life. Now, reign in life is a big truth, and we'll get into that in the evening services. Therefore, just as one trespass, now notice, one trespass, led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Now, here, the second Adam is like the first Adam in that. The first Adam, one sin, led to condemnation for all. Second Adam, one act of righteousness leads to, number one, justification, number two, life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. I like that. Now the law came to increase the trespass. Now you say, what do you mean by that? That will be in the evening services. I don't want to teach it all now. But where sin increased, grace abounded more and more. I love that. Where you see sin reigning and dominating, you're going to see grace flowing like a great waterfall. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life. Now, what is eternal life? John, it is not buhai nang walang hanggang. It is the knowledge of God and the knowledge of the Son. 
and it's an experiential relationship knowledge. So grace might reign through righteousness, okay? So grace reigns through righteousness, it rules through righteousness, and it leads us to an experiential knowledge of the Father and of the Son through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you know what? I should put all that up there for you. Because <laughs> I keep writing and I forgot to punch the button again. So, all right, you can take a picture of that real quick. All right, let's go on down a little bit. I'll let you get a picture of that real quick. Five, four, three, two. All right, now let's go to chapter six. I'm sorry. It's been one of those mornings. Chapter six, verse one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? This is Paul's question. Because this is what people were accusing him of teaching. He was teaching grace. So they said, okay, you teach grace and tell people that, you know, the more we sin, the more grace comes to our lives. So we should do more and more sin. We should murder people and commit adultery. And, you know, we should do all of this sin. He said, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Now, brothers and sisters, and then he says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, brothers and sisters, straight talk. You know, there are people that teach grace, but they don't teach grace like I teach grace. And they don't teach grace like any conservative scholar teaches grace. They teach grace, and I don't like to say the word extreme grace because, you know what, every attribute of God is extreme. I mean, grace is extreme. But they teach grace with the wrong application. And they say it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter that you continue to live in sin because we're saved by grace. He said, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? I said, by no means. All right. If you believe in salvation by grace, then you stop the sin by faith, like we've been reading earlier. How then, we who died, to, how can we who died to sin still live in it? He said, now listen, that, that's, that's, it, that, that's not logical. Now, I was talking with a guy one time who believed that it doesn't matter how you live because of grace. And I quoted him these two verses. He said, that's exactly right. He said, the Bible says, if we've died to sin, how can we still live in it? He said, it's impossible for me to sin. I said, now, excuse me, wait a minute. You say that you never commit to sin. He said, no. He said, how can we die to sin if we still live in it? He said, how can we who died to sin still live in it? He said, I've died to sin, so I can't live in it anymore. He said, I can't commit sin. It's impossible for me to sin. I said, so you mean you never commit any sin? He said, no, it's impossible for me to sin. And I looked at the guy and I said, now, you, you've got an education that you need to get here because it is not impossible for you to sin. If I ask your wife, she can tell me all of your sins. Verse three, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? All right, so this is water baptism. We were buried with him by baptism into death. This is why we do complete immersion because of the symbolism of it. We were buried into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. 
For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So the whole symbolism of water baptism is if this is the water, we are buried with him in water baptism, and then we come out of the water in resurrection, new life. This is why we practice immersion. It is not about sprinkling. It symbolizes the death and resurrection of Jesus. It symbolizes our death to the old life and our newness of life. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. All right, so I am now free from the power of sin. I'm free from the power of sin. That's sin no longer controls us. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Okay? Sin no longer dominates us. Now, I can yield to sin, but sin cannot control me anymore. Okay, so we can yield, but not controlled. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So Jesus died one time. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now here is the mental attitude of a believer. This is something we consider. We think about this. I've died to sin. Sin can't control me anymore. I don't have to smoke. I don't have to drink. I don't have to look at pornography. I don't have to steal. It doesn't control me anymore. I've died to sin. We have to sit down and think about this. Now, again, I don't want to teach my way through this because it's powerful. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. So this is our choice. Remember, I said we can yield but not be controlled. So he said, don't yield. Don't let sin reign in your body to make you obey, to make you obey their passions. He said, you have a choice. So when people say, I have no choice, you always have a choice. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. This is your choice. Do I present myself to God or do I present myself to K-Wave? Do I present myself to God or do I present myself to alcohol? Do I present myself to God or do I present myself to pornography? For sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under law, but you are under grace. Sin cannot rule over you anymore. The grace of God has set you free. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Testament passage today begins in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verse 21. Now Amnon was 22 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So, all right, we have a bad king. Now he's 22 years old. He has a great father. Now, the father had made mistakes, but the father had repented and done right. But now, the son does the bad part. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, has done. Amnon sacrificed to all the images that Manasseh, his father, had made and served them. So he worshipped and he served. So notice, there's two things that people do with demons. They worship and they serve. But he did not humble himself before the Lord as Manasseh, his father, had humbled himself. But Ammon incurred guilt more and more. So his daddy did repent, but Manasseh did not. Now, there's a lesson that you need to learn here. Sometimes our children follow us into sin, but they don't follow us into repentance. So it's, 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 it's very important, parents, that we just live right. Now, let me put the principle there. Principle. Kids follow us into sin, 
but not into repentance. You see, you can teach a child to sin, but you can't teach a child character. You can't teach a child humility. It takes humility to repent. And his servants conspired against him and put him to death in his house. But the people of the land, these are the Israelites, struck down all those who conspired against King Ammon, and the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his place. Chapter 34, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. So here we have a child king, eight years old. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So we have a child king, but we also have a good king. For in the eighth year of his reign, 12 years old, he's eight years old, so he's 16 years old. Get my addition here. He's 16 years old. He begins the reign when he's eight, eight years, so he's now 16 years old. While he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And in the twelfth year of his reign, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places. So when he's 20 years old. So when he's 16 years old, he has a personal revival. When he's 20 years old, he leads a national revival. Now this is important. As a child, he begins to reign. As a child, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In the eighth year of his reign, he began to seek God. Now, I like that word, began. He didn't stop and start. It was not transitory. It was continuous, not temporary. He began to seek the Lord, the God of his father. In the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, and the carved and metal images. So he begins to remove the demon altars. And they chopped down all the altars of the Baals in his presence. Any Baal that he saw, he chopped down. And he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. And he broke in pieces the ashram and carved the, and the carved and metal images. And he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. Now, he continues with this great purge. He also burned the bones. Let's get this up here for you. Sorry about that. I keep forgetting. So I'll give you just a minute to get all the writing in. So, all right. We'll give you just a minute to take a picture. <laughs> I'm sorry. I keep forgetting to click the second button. Now, let's take it a step farther. Take a picture. One, two, three, four, five. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars. Now, these, these are the, the false priests. These are the demon priests. And cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, in all their ruins all around. And he broke down the altars, and he beat the ashram and their, the images into powder, and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. So this is what we would call a national demolition 
tour. He toured all of the land that he was responsible for as the king of Judah and, and the, the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, and a little bit of Naphtali and things. And he then returned to Jerusalem. He destroyed every graven image. He, he destroyed every demon altar that he could find. They came to Hilkiah, the high priest, and gave him the money that had been brought into the house of God, which the Levites and the keepers of the threshold had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim and from all the remnant of Israel and from all Judea and Benjamin and from the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So this was the offering for God's house. This was not the tithe. This was the offering for God's house. And they gave it to the workmen who were working in the house of God. And the workmen were working in the house of God, gave it for repairing and restoring the house. They gave it to the carpenters and the builders to buy quarried stone and timber for binders and beams for the buildings that the kings of Judah had let go to ruin. Amazing. Amazing. The kings let God's house go to ruin. Amazing. They didn't care about God's house. And the men did the work faithfully. Now, that's beautiful. Over them were set Jahath and Obadiah of the Levites of the sons of Merai and Zechariah and Meshulam of the sons of the Kohites to have oversight. The Levites, all who were skillful with music, with instruments of music, were over the burden bearers and directed all who did the work in every kind of service. And some of the Levites were scribes and officials and gatekeepers. Now, notice the musicians... The music people, the music people directed the burden bearers and directed the work of every kind of service. Isn't that interesting? The musicians were telling the contractors what to do. I think that was funny. Now, you can sit down and say, all right, Sister Bev, you're going to run the next building project. <laughs> okay, she will have a great laugh at you. And while they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of God, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Emphasis on the word found. They found God's word. Now, that tells you God's word had been lost. Now it was found. There were no copies. Can you imagine? No copies of the law of God that anybody had access to. So while they're digging things out and pulling down walls, they found one copy that had been obviously hidden away. Now, brothers and sisters, how in the world had they gone so far away from God that they had lost every copy of the law of Moses? Every copy of what they called the law had been lost. This is what happens when God's house is neglected. Neglect God's house, you lose God's word. Now that's something that you need to meditate on. Then Hilkiah answered and said to Shaptan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan. Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported to the king all that was committed to your servants they are doing. They have emptied out the money, that was found in the house of the Lord, and given it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, 
Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read from it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. He recognized what this was. He recognized. See, they still had their oral tradition. They still heard the rumors of what the commandments of God said. And now for the first time, they read it themselves. But he recognized it. And the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asiah, the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us, because our fathers have kept not the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So Hilkiah and those whom the king had sent went to Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tokath, the son of Hasra, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter and spoke to her to that effect. Now notice a woman. Now, you know, all these people that want to say there should be no women in ministry. Notice she had a husband. They didn't go talk to her husband. Her husband was not the prophet. She was the prophetess. So women in ministry. And the king and all of Israel listened to this woman. Wow. Maybe some people need to back up on their doctrines of no women in ministry. And she said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring disaster on this place and upon its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah. God said, I keep my word. God said, I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. Because they have forsaken me. One. And have made offerings to other gods. Two. That they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore my wrath will be poured out in this place and will not be quenched. But... <laughs> A man once told me, everything after the but is of the devil. Nah, I don't think so. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of me, thus you shall say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, regarding the words that you have heard. Because your heart was tender. Number one, you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard these words against this place and its inhabitants. And you have humbled yourself before me and have torn your clothes and have wept before me. I have also heard you, declares the Lord. Brothers and sisters, get the principle. God hears a humble heart. Get the principle. No matter what, is going to be coming because of disobedience and rebellion. God hears the humble heart. Because your heart was tender, because you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard his words against this place and its inhabitants, because you have humbled yourself before me, because you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. God hears a humble heart. Brothers and sisters, please hear me today. Your God is a God of mercy. 
I know that maybe you have done some things that are really, really bad and really, really wrong. But if you will humble yourself before him, just like this king, just like the people of Nineveh, if you will humble yourself before him, you have a God who will show mercy because that's that's who he is. Behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you will be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see the disaster that I bring upon this place and its inhabitants. And they brought back word to the king. So he sent. So the king sent and gathered all the elders of Judah. And the king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all the people, both great and small. And they read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. Good leadership. Let them hear God. Let them hear God. Let them hear God's word. Let them hear God's word. Not just what you say about it. Let them hear God's word. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord. So here's a covenant. And to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul and to perform the words of the covenant that are written in this book. Now here's the big point. With all his heart and all his soul. This was a man that was determined to do right for God. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin stand to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Joshua took away all the abominations, not a few, all the abominations from the territory that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. This is good leadership. Now, do you remember how often we read you of other kings. They did what was right in the eyes of God, but they did not remove the high places. But they did not do this. But they did not do that. This guy, there were no leftovers. He removed, took away all the abominations. Unfortunately, there are degrees of obedience that we often see. Good leaders have no degrees of obedience. Good leaders obey with all their heart and all their soul, and they do everything God has told them to do. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at seven o'clock.